This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. If you would please open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of uh, 1 Kings, and we may read a couple of scriptures before we get there, but that's kind of going to anchor our lesson. 1 Kings chapter 18. And while you're opening your Bibles to that, let me just throw out three questions to kind of help jumpstart our minds some of you came dragging through the doors instead of the saints come marching in, you're dragging in. And so I need to, we need to probably have our minds jump started. Three questions, they're in the bulletin, and, and I want you to participate in this. Um, question number one, in terms of your commitment to God, where would you rate yourself on a scale of, of one to ten? And, and I want you to be honest here. One is bad, 10 is excellent. In fact, if you score yourself a 10, you are so committed you would go serve as a missionary in Zimbabwe. Or, or, or bringing it closer to home, uh, you know, a 10 would not just be about doing things for God, but it would mean that your heart is so full of God and so committed to Him that your priorities, your attitude, your actions are a beautiful reflection of Jesus Christ. That's a 10. So commitment-wise... Where would you put yourself on a scale of 1 to 10? Second question. Are you satisfied with your current level of commitment to God? Are you where you want to be spiritually? And I, I could just ask a follow-up question. If not, why not? Last question. In terms of your commitment to God, and again, not in terms of doing stuff for God. Sometimes we get confused and think that we're doing a bunch of stuff for God and we're super committed. But, but in terms of what the Bible refers to as consecration, where do you believe God would rate your level of commitment to Him? Would you be cold, hot, or lukewarm? How would God rate you? It's just so quiet in here. That's okay. Let those questions simmer in the back of your mind while I'll tell a story, tell a story that will kind of further help prepare our minds for the lesson. This is a story that involves my love life. And I know that probably worries you and uh, really worried my wife uh, because she didn't know until the early service what I was going to reveal here this morning. But she came back, thankfully, that's good news. But to give you some background, my childhood was a fairly typical childhood. I went through the normal stage of thinking that all girls were disgusting because they had cooties. But that changed soon enough. I not only started liking girls, but I started liking them a lot. And I did what most boys do, and that was to show off to try to impress the girls. Now, I, I never had the good looks to wow the girls like some of you men, like Daniel and Wally and some of the, you men, the good looks to just really wow them. Um, I, I guess God never wanted to be, me to become prideful with my looks, and so that's not a good thing if you wives are laughing at that statement. You should have said amen to that. You missed a chance for some brownie points, but... But, but God didn't want me to become prideful with my looks, and so he took care of that immediately at birth. I've never had to worry about becoming prideful there. Nor was I always the smartest kid in class. I, I worked really hard, and 
most of the time did pretty well in school, but I think it was more God feeling sorry for me and helping me and, and maybe some good old-fashioned long hours of study more so than it was just intelligence that I had. And then I couldn't boast of being the best athlete. I, I had a lot of determination and a, a lot of grit and and I don't always like this about myself, but I have a competitive nature that probably caused me to play above my ability. But I wasn't unnatural like many of you. Nor did I have the, the biggest muscles. And, and instead of being ripped and, and having a six-pack of muscles like Jeremy, uh, I just had a pot belly. And, and then I inherited my mom's stooped frame. My mom was always stooped, and so I, I don't stand straight and tall, don't have broad shoulders. So all of that to say that in order to get the girls' attention, I had to do other things. And unfortunately, most of the time, my antics didn't work. I ended up looking like a moron, but I tried hard, and you have to at least be impressed by my effort. Now, as I went from grade school through college, I had different on-and-off relationships with girls that lasted anywhere from just a few hours to a few months. And hang with me, by the way. There's, there's a reason I'm telling you this information. This will lead to our lesson, I, I promise you. So don't leave on me yet. But, but there was a certain girl that, that I kind of liked. And, and it wasn't a situation that I just flipped over her, that, that I fell madly in love with her. But I did kind of like her. And, and she seemed to kind of like me. And it's probably just me, but it appeared that her feelings went deeper for me than mine went for her. Again, probably just my imagination. And by the way, you don't know this girl. My youthful days were spent in South America, Arkansas, Missouri, Kansas, so you could never figure it out. I'll just say it was nobody here. But, but this girl and I spent a little bit of time together, nothing serious, but as young people famously like to say, and as an adult, when I hear this, it makes me smile, but we were just friends. We were just friends. I wasn't ready to settle down. I, I still wanted the option of looking at the menu without having to order yet, if, if you know what I mean. Well, during that time that I was checking out other options, would you believe that that girl that I kind of thought would wait for me forever, and I thought would always be there for me, kind of as a backup insurance policy, you know, if, if nothing else better worked out, would you believe she fell in love with somebody else? And, and this is the painful part. She fell in love with one of my good friends. And furthermore, he fell in love with her. Now, now part of me was very happy because it made my good friend happy, and so I was happy. But, but I'll admit that when my friend stole her heart, even though I didn't want to be in a serious relationship with her at that point, it stung. Now, all is well today. I, I ended up with a better deal. I found a newer model with more options. And, and, and the woman I married was definitely the right one, and, and, and I outkicked my coverage on her, but, but at that time, frankly, it hurt to have one of my good friends steal the heart of someone that I cared about at least a little bit. Now, I know some of you, I'm reading your mind, you're saying, you deserved it, you bum, and, and I probably did, but that didn't erase the pain. Now, many of you can relate to that type of hurt. You've experienced something similar where someone close to you ended up stealing the heart of your girlfriend or your boyfriend or, or even worse yet, possibly the heart of your spouse. And you can try to be mature about it and, and say, well, I'm tough, no big deal. You know, you win some, you lose some. And, but the truth is that kind of stuff hurts. Now, follow me closely as we try to tie this story into our lesson. 
If you were Satan, and I'm not calling you the devil, but if you were Satan and you wanted to hurt the heart of God, what would be one of your strategies? Well, from my perspective, a very effective way to hurt God would be to steal away the hearts of those that say they love God, just as it hurt me when someone stole away the heart of someone that I cared for. And today we want to study one of the more familiar stories in the Old Testament where that exact scenario had happened with the people of Israel. Their hearts had been stolen away from God. And so God called a man named Elijah to confront this situation as well as to confront a very wicked king named Ahab who incidentally was married to a very wicked woman named Jezebel. And just giving you some random and worthless information here, Jezebel happened to be the very first woman on record to wear makeup. In fact, some of you would remember, if you've been in the church a long time, 30, 40, 50 years ago, most churches and church people frowned on women wearing makeup. Anybody remember that, those days? Um, and a lot of that, not all of it, there were some other circumstances that contributed to this feeling, but a lot of that came about because of the following scripture in 2 Kings 9.30. It says, when Jezebel, again, she was the epitome of wickedness. You think you know a woman that's a doozy and a wicked woman, a super wicked woman? She's probably a Mother Teresa compared to Jezebel. So when Jezebel, the queen mother, heard that Jehu had come to Jezreel, she painted her eyelids fixed her hair, sat at a window, and, and that is why the old-timers, when they would see a woman that overdid her makeup, they would call her a Jezebel. And so if your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents, maybe your great-great-great-grandparents would come out of the grave, stroll in here today, they would look at most of you women with eyeshadow makeup and say, you ladies are going to hell, you're a bunch of Jezebels. That's what they would have said years ago. Aren't you glad you came to church for that history lesson? <laughs> that has nothing to do with our lesson, though. Back to Ahab. Ahab was in a line of 19 consecutive evil, evil kings spanning about 200 years. But according to 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30, Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those 19 wicked kings who came before him Ahab took the trophy as being the worst of the worst of the worst. And at the very top of the, that long list of evil things he did was the fact that he had turned the hearts of the people away from the true God towards the gods of Baal and Asherah. And Asherah. Now, who were the gods of Baal and Asherah? Well, Baal was the sun god, or, or, or actually he was also called the fire god, which you, also, you especially need to remember because this will come up a little bit later on. Baal was the fire god. Say fire god. One, two, three, fire god. But then Asherah was kind of like Baal's wife. Well, as I said, during this wicked time, God raised up Elijah, who basically confronted King Ahab and said, because of your wickedness, God has sent me to tell you that as a punishment, until further notice, there will be no more rain in the country. And this period of no rain, 1 Kings as well as the New Testament book of James tells us, lasted, listen to this, three and one half years, no rain. Well, after making that statement of no rain until further notice for me, as you can imagine, Elijah, to save his hide, save his life from wicked King Ahab, and Jezebel 
had to go into a period of hiding, so God led him to a very remote and forsaken place called the Kirith Ravine. That takes us finally to our scripture, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. After many months passed, in the third year of the drought, so we're three years into this no rain, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria, as you can imagine. Three and a half years, no rain. Skipping down to verse 16, when Elijah got to King Ahab, Ahab went out to meet him. So it's you, is it, Israel's troublemaker? Ahab asked when he saw him. Now the Hebrew word that's translated troublemaker, and this is fascinating to me, can also be translated snake. So it was like Ahab was saying what we sometimes say about a no good person that we can't trust. He was saying, Elijah, you no good, you low down snake in the grass. The drought The famine is all your fault, you snake. Well, it's interesting how Elijah reacts in in verse 18. (laughs) He said, wait a minute, don't put this on me. This is on you. He says, I've made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers. So Elijah returns the favor and says, you're the snake in the grass. You're the reason we haven't had rain for over three years now, for you've refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. So Ahab, this is on you. Now let me give you a couple of words that I studied in Bible school, and, and, and you've heard these words. Monotheism and polytheism. Monotheism is simply a belief that there is one God. You know, as Christians, we are monotheistic in our belief. We, we believe in the Trinity, Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, but those are not three gods. Those are three in one, three persons, but yet one God. Polytheism, on the other hand, is is the belief that there are, are multiple gods. Hinduism, for example, believes that there are millions of gods. And so Elijah was confronting this polytheistic culture where they worship Baal and Asherah and many other gods. Now, the problem that arises with our, our Christianity is, is not in theory. We're sound in theory. The problem that arises is in practice. Because what we as Christians practice, even though we claim we're monotheistic and only serve one God, yet in practice, many of us live what I would call polytheistic lives. Because along with worshiping God, we worship other gods. Now, obviously, the gods that we worship today are much more socially acceptable than the idols of Baal and Asherah. For example, a lot of people worship the god of their image. They spend much more time trying to beautify themselves than the time they spend with God. That has stolen their hearts away from God. A lot of other people worship sports, and they spend much more time watching sports, whether it's their child or their grandchild, playing, watching a game on on TV, more time than what they spend with God. Sports has stolen our hearts away from God. And then as odd as this sounds, there are many people who worship the God called our children, grandchildren. You know, we've elevated them and said, well, my kids or my grandkids, they're number one, which if that's true, makes them an idol. 
So before we go on, I, I'd like to just ask you to be honest. What are some of the false gods that you have elevated above the place of the one true God? What are some activities or some people or things that have become more of a priority and take more of your time and more of your commitment than your relationship with God? Back to Elijah. He steps in and he, and he looks at the people who were much like us. They, they still claim, and this is interesting, they still claim to be following God, Jehovah. They probably even said, well, God is number one in my life. But along with serving God, Jehovah, they were worshiping Baal and Asherah. And so Elijah steps in there and says, you need to make a decision. Uh, when it comes to following God, Elijah asks them, are you in or out? He said, it's almost like you think that more gods is better and they will almost be like an insurance policy with broad coverage, you know, to appease the fire God and the sun God and the God of hail and the God of rain and the mother earth. And, and Elijah said, more than one God is not acceptable because one of the core principles that God established when, when he created mankind is that we are not to have any other gods before him. God said, you can't sit on the fence. So Elijah asked the people, who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve Baal and, and these other idols made out of wood and stone? Or, or are you going to serve the living God who gives you breath and sustains you every minute of every hour of every day? Now, I, I want to point out something here that I, I noticed this past week. The strategy of Elijah goes totally against what we as churches promote today. Here, here's what we promote. We say, okay, if you're not quite ready to serve God why don't you at least take some baby steps towards God? You know, a little bit of Christianity is better than nothing. Yeah, you, you may hang on to some addictions and do some things we shouldn't do, say some things we shouldn't say, and, and we could probably do, do better. But, you know, a little bit of God is better than no God at all. But, but that was not Elijah's approach. Elijah said, Get in or get out. Get off the fence. It's one or the other. Which, by the way, as I was thinking about this, that's God's approach. Because remember the book of Revelation, God said, here's, here's the way it is. I would like for you to be hot. Hot in the faith. But if you're not going to be hot, you need to be cold. This lukewarm stuff, just makes me sick to my stomach. And so Elijah says, okay, to help push you off of the fence, you're sitting on the fence, we're going to have a good old-fashioned showdown. And watch what he says to Ahab in verse 19. Now summon the people from all over Israel. So Elijah said, I want a lot of people here from all around the country. I want them to witness this showdown. Some of the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. That's one big table for 850 prophets. Verse 20, so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, and by the way, I think he got in their faces. He said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. 
Now, if Elijah were to walk in here today, here's what I think he would say. And I, I wouldn't have the courage to say this to you. I would probably get fired if I did. But, but here's what I think Elijah would say to us today. I think he would say, this mamby-pamby Bible Belt speech that everybody makes that God is number one in our lives regardless of how many bad words we say and regardless of how many addictions we hang on to, regardless of the continual practice of sin in our lives, I think Elijah would tell us, put up or shut up. Now, I couldn't get by with that, but I think that's what Elijah would say. I think Elijah would say, quit being a Christian on Sunday, but then acting like a heathen on Monday. Quit claiming you're serving Christ when your life has not changed. And I think Elijah would tell us what he told those people several thousand years ago. Make a decision. Get in or get out. In fact, I wonder if Elijah might even get more specific. And again, I couldn't get by with this. But I wonder if he wouldn't say, if the most important thing to you is accumulating material possessions, then just quit sort of accumulating them. Kick it under another gear, into another gear. I mean, work 60 hours, 80 hours a week. Get into massive debt just to have more things. And certainly don't tithe to church because that would diminish your stockpile of possessions. I believe that Elijah would say, if material things are, are, are the important things to you, go for it. Quit holding back. I think Elijah would also tell us, if your body or your image is the most important thing to you, then don't just kind of do it. I mean, do it upright. Get the best, cool designer clothes to make you feel like you're in. And as soon as the sun starts shining again, and after all this rain, and you know, when the sun really shines for a while, don't forget that tan. As someone said, you know, tan it, tweak it. Tat it, puff it, tuck it, lift it, twist it, curl it, color it. I mean, whatever it is, do it. Give it all you've got. Make yourself look great. I think Elijah might also say to a sexual pleasure, if that's your God, don't let something as small as a marriage hold you back. What are you waiting for? Just do it. Your house is your God. I think Elijah would say, well, go into massive debt. If that's your God, don't have a so-so house. Living within your means is overrated. I mean, you're going to get $1,400 as a stimulus check if you haven't already gotten it. And so that's for every member in the family. So spend it before you get it. It's coming. The government never lets us down. Your desires or addictions are your God. I think Elijah would say, well, go for it. After all, you only live once. So and it does make you feel pretty amazing, doesn't it? So just smoke it or, or snort it or, or shoot it or drink it or eat it. Again, I couldn't get by saying those things, but I think Elijah would. But I also think that Elijah would tell us this. If you claim that you're fully committed to God and you say he's number one in your life, then act like it. Don't, don't claim that you love him, but then never read your Bible. I think Elijah would tell us, don't claim that you love him and only gather together with the body of Christ when you have nothing else going on. I Don't claim to love him and then swear and cuss throughout the week. Don't claim to love God and not pay God's tithe. Don't claim to love him, yet hold resentment and unforgiveness and refuse to talk to somebody. Don't claim to love him and still gossip. Don't claim to love him and never have time to serve the body of Christ. Don't claim to love him and not use your talents for the upbuilding of his kingdom. And, and again, I would probably get fired if I said those things to you, but... 
I think that's probably what Elijah would tell us today. Well, after that speech of get in or get out, what did Elijah do? Well, verse 23, get two bulls for us, let them choose one for themselves, let them cut it up into pieces, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, not set fire to it. You call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. He said, here's the plan. Here's a challenge. And the people said, what you say is good. Sounds like a good plan. Now, here's what the people had to be thinking, and I'm reading between the lines here. I think the people were were thinking, Elijah, you are an idiot. Do you not know who you're dealing with? I mean, you're up against Baal, and, and silly prophet, did you forget that Baal is what God? The fire God. And you've issued a challenge involving fire? Elijah, you're going down, you're going to get smoked. What happened? Verse 26. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us. They shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. And, and they danced around the altar they had made. And, and I actually did a little bit of research on this dance. And, and I watched a YouTube video on it. And I thought about showing you how to do this dance. But I was afraid you might not come back. But from what I understand, this dance was not slow dancing, swaying to the music. It wasn't square dancing. This dance was jumping up and down, twisting all around, punctuated with shouts and shrieks. And they did that from morning till noon. Nothing happened. You know, for most of us, 30 seconds of this type of dance would have taken us into cardiac arrest because we're not in shape. I love what took place next. And we have the first ever record of trash talking. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 27, at noontime, Elijah began to mock them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he's a god, perhaps he's deep in thought, or he's relieving himself. <laughs> Whatever that means, some people think, you know, think that means he was going to the bathroom, other translations say he was just resting, but whatever it is, Elijah was having way too much fun. And he goes on and says, or or maybe he's away on a trip or he's asleep and needs to be awakened. And and they get louder, more animated. They shout louder following their normal custom. They cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood, listen, gushed out. So they didn't just poke themselves where they had a drop here and there. It says the blood was gushing out. They were serious. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no reply, no voice, no answer. Can you imagine how exhausted they had to be? We laugh about this, but just look at how exhausted we are chasing after the God of the American dream chasing after financial security, working ourselves to the bone, or chasing after our favorite hobby, chasing after our kids for the 1,001 different activities we want them involved in. We live exhausted lives because we're essentially doing the same thing, chasing, chasing. Well, Elijah steps up to the plate, and he didn't dance. He didn't shout. He didn't cut himself. Do do you know what he did? He, He did what we should always do. He prayed. And it was a very simple, short prayer. Let me read it. Walked up to the altar, prayed. Here's the prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
Prove today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant. Prove that I've done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. That's it. That's the prayer. And that last phrase is so significant. Elijah prays that God would bring the people back, which shows that at one time the Israelite people had served God, but Baal and Asherah had stolen away their hearts. And Elijah prayed that their hearts would once again be turned back to God. That's been my prayer for me this week. It's been my prayer for you. In fact, yesterday after I performed a wedding here and mid-afternoon I went out to my farm to try to collect my thoughts and get prepared for today. And I, uh, out there in the woods, just me, myself, and I, and God, I began praying. I just kept praying, oh God, help us to come back. It was to come back. And I began mentioning names, and oh God, I believe their hearts have been turned away from you, stolen away, help them to come back. And I prayed for myself, oh God, I want to make sure my heart is right. And, and I think that the reality is that some of us, probably at least partially, have had our hearts stolen away from God for one reason or another. Maybe it's busyness, you know, the rat race of life. And as I've said before, the problem with the rat race is that if you win the race, you're still a rat. Maybe it's COVID. You know, COVID took us out of our routines, kind of took the wind out of our sails, and, you know, we tried to be careful, and rightly so, and in doing so, maybe have gotten out of the habit of some of the routines and disciplines that used to help keep us steady with God. You know, maybe it's the bitter political atmosphere that's brought division in our country, and, and you know, people have strayed away from the body of Christ, and, you know, good people become upset because those in the body of Christ didn't agree with their political stance. But I believe that God, with tears in his eyes, is saying... Come back. Come back. Come back. So Elijah prayed that the people would come back to God, and what happened? Well, immediately, this is so amazing, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven. You know what the God of fire couldn't do? God Jehovah did. Burned up the young bull, the wood, we understand that. But then it burned up the stones and the dust, licked up all the water in the ditch. And what happened? After Elijah's prayer, the people saw it. They fell on their faces and they cried out, The Lord is God. The Lord is God. So understand, first of all, there was a literal fire that burned up the sacrifice, the wood, and the dust, the stones, the water. This was a hot, literal fire that Baal couldn't produce, but again, God could. But then it led to another fire that was more important, and that was revival fire. There was a literal fire, then there was revival fire, and the people began to realize that their hearts had strayed, and, and through this divine showdown, they once again realized that the Lord is God. And, and what happened? They came back to him. So as we wrap things up, let me give three words for us. 
You have them in your bulletin. You have them behind me. But the first word is evaluate. And here's what I would like to do is for us to evaluate our lives and see if there are some false gods that are taking more of our passion and emotion and time and effort than the true God. You know, the psalmist David said, search me, O God, know my heart. So could we just ask God to search us? And then the second word I wrote down was dethrone. I would encourage all of us to dethrone and remove these gods that have stolen our hearts away. And then the last word is surrender. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because, you know, God doesn't just want to be your Savior. We all want a Savior. We want to be saved from hell. We want to be saved from bad things, but God wants to be your Lord. Whenever He's our Lord, then he's in charge and the people after this amazing show of God's power they they surrendered to the lordship of God and they said the Lord is God the Lord is God so so I wonder if uh, today just a couple of weeks before Easter we've been through a long hard year but I believe God is calling us back and I believe he is saying come back Come back. Come back. And there may be some here this morning that you want to, you want to just come back and make a commitment to him. And of course, the altar is always open. We have an open altar policy at this church, but maybe just where you are. You can just say, God, I'm sorry. My attention has been divided. And I ask for forgiveness. I ask you to take me back. So this morning, could we just come back to him? And I'm going to ask you to stand. And if anybody wants to come forward, you can, or just where you are. Can we just pray and evaluate, dethrone, and surrender? Lord, we we just come to you. We thank you for this account in your word. It's amazing. It's an amazing account. Father, I think it's so relevant, even though this took place several thousand years ago, yet it's so relevant because essentially that is what happens today. Our hearts are stolen away. And I think every one of us here would say, oh, you know what, I want to serve God, but then we allow some of the things in this life and in this world to take our attention, our passion, Lord, we find out then that what happens is we give our leftovers to you instead of the best. So, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us for those times that we have strayed. But, God, as you call us to come back, Lord, we want to come back. Lord, there may not be a literal fire that will fall, but I pray that this divine fire, revival fire, would fall upon us today. Lord, I pray that our hearts would again find just the passion, the initial passion that we had for you whenever we gave our hearts to you. And I pray, Lord, that there would be that living relationship, that fresh relationship. God, that passionate relationship with you and 
God, we don't want to give leftovers to you. We don't want to say we're monotheistic, but yet live polytheistic lives of just having a bunch of other things that we're chasing after. And so God, take us, and I pray that you would just sort through our lives this week. And God, I pray that we would just kind of open our hearts to you so that this week we could just hear your voice. And Lord, as you identify, maybe there's an idol, maybe there's a false God that we could just dethrone that God and get that place to you. And so Lord, this week, I pray that you would just help us to be in in tune with you. And God, we want to be able to say together, the Lord is God, the Lord is God, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. So Father, we're coming back to you. We're going to, with your help, do a better job of following you and seeking you. We pray this in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior. And everybody said, amen. Amen. If if some of you maybe just feel like God is calling you and and you need to spend time in prayer, you're welcome to come do that. And, And next Sunday night, again, I urge you to be part of that praise and prayer gathering because we're just going to continue to seek God so that he can be fresh in our lives again. You're dismissed. Thank you. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.